Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hey, Feisties. I am so glad you're here. Full disclosure, I found today's guest on TikTok. So I don't know what it is, but I love it when I see a woman putting herself out there on a platform like TikTok to educate other women and help make their lives better. So I asked our producer, Millie, to reach out to Saru, and here we are. Dr. Saru Bala is an integrative women's health doctor. She's a licensed naturopathic doctor who had an, a childhood experience that we'll, that we'll talk about on the podcast that led her to focus on women's health as an adult. After observing some of the ways that traditional medicine has let women down, Sarah's approach is decidedly integrative. She helps women manage chronic hormonal issues like PMS, period pain, heavy bleeding, fibroids, endometriosis, and fertility. The thing that got me most about this conversation was that Saru really challenged my beliefs um, on the idea that the symptoms of PMS or even perimenopause might be avoidable if we continue to push towards a better understanding and solutions for our health. And while I'm kind of like hesitant to say that things like PMS that I know so many people suffer from or going through the symptoms of perimenopause and into the menopausal transition are avoidable, like that just feels like throwing away <laughs> kind of women's experience. We also know that the research in women's health is lagging behind in so many ways. And Saru really helped me to sort of take a step back and question some of my assumptions about what is quote unquote normal and how much discomfort we should put up with before searching for answers. And I think the answer is actually probably zero, zero discomfort. And in other feisty announcements, the whole of Feisty Media is taking a two-week break from our podcasting schedule. So this is our last episode of the year. Our goal at Feisty is to create an empowering culture for active women. And honestly, we need a little time away from that so we can come back fresh and ready for the new year. So on this feed, we will be playing a couple of our favorite episodes. So have a listen to those if you miss them or take the opportunity to scroll back to any old episodes you missed. And in other fun news, we relaunched our Feisty Women's Performance Instagram page. So head over to Instagram, search up Feisty Women's Performance and follow us there. You can find the link to that in the show notes. So thanks again for being here. By taking a female lens on human performance, we can truly unlock our potential. 
As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule, how much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. 
So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedda's have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedda's.com and it will all be in the show notes. Hi, Saru. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. Uh, just before the show, we were talking and you said that you love working with athletes in particular. Why is that? I do. I just feel like the movement piece is really the hardest part to start getting going, especially if you don't already have that as a routine and a practice in your life. And I find that the, that's like the best thing that athletes do is their movement is a part of is such a big part of their life. And so that is such a huge part of hormonal health. And I, I just love that. I don't have to, um, to work on that <laughs> as much. It makes things a little bit easier. Cause I think, you know, finding motivation to work out is not an easy thing for a lot of people. So absolutely. And if you don't have those habits, it is hard. And like, for you, like you're a naturopathic doctor, you're not like, um, you know, a psychologist or someone like <laughs> prepared to motivate to the motivation for like, (laughs) yes, exactly. I know. I wish I could do all aspects of that, but yeah, I don't have the skills to, to give you the motivation for that, unfortunately. Right. Interesting. And you said like movement is part, a big part of hormonal health. Can you just unpack that a little bit? Like how so? Yeah. So, I mean, just movement in general exercise is amazing for so many different things for your mental health, for your physical health, 
your gut health, your cortisol regulation, your, um, your insulin levels, your metabolic health. So all of that ties it and your, your detoxing mechanisms, your sweating, like all of these things tie into your hormonal health in so many different ways. So it's, I can't even be like, Oh, well this one mechanism or this one way, it's literally just so multifaceted that movement, um, makes such a difference for your immune function for, and, and your energy and your fatigue. Like I just, the list goes on. So movement is absolutely a huge, huge, huge part of not only hormonal health, but just your everyday life. Right. Right. Well, I obviously believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so let's start a little bit from the beginning. You know, I think I, I, I was watching all your TikToks yesterday. They're amazing. Um, but I saw one that said that you, um, you know, that you struggled with some health issues when you were younger. And that's maybe like what led you down the naturopath uh, direction. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So I um, was diagnosed with IBD when I was a teenager and, you know, having severe gut issues is going to impact your hormonal health. So then I also had hormonal issues. I had really heavy bleeding. I had really um, painful periods, a lot of PMS symptoms, And, um, my gut health was just all over the place. They wanted, they, a lot of the doctors were all just confused as to what I had. I had to have multiple surgeries from a pediatric surgeon before I was referred to an adult surgeon who was like, oh, this is what you have. And they were all just like, we have never seen anything in someone so young. Like they just couldn't figure out what was going on with me. And, you know, they had me on all the adult medications. And I, at the time I was 13 years old, I was feeling miserable. Um, My mom saw how miserable I was. She was like, you're not even the same person anymore. I was like, I know I don't feel like myself. Mm -hmm. And um, she saw how much I was struggling and was like, okay, we're not going to do these anymore. um, Because I just refused to take the meds because I felt so miserable. And she was like, okay, well, we'll find an alternative solution. So we worked with some integrative providers. I changed up my diet a little bit. I added in some herbs and supplements and I felt so much better. I felt like myself again, I wasn't having as much stomach issues. Um, my periods were, were getting better. And so I, yeah, so that's kind of where that was my first intro into it. And then when I was in college, my mom got sick with ovarian cancer and she again turned to integrative medicine and that was a huge lifesaver for her. And so just seeing this throughout my life and just being a part of it, I was just like, you know, there's so many times when conventional medicine is just not the option. What is my alternative? And I wanted to bring that other side of health for other women. So that's kind of how I got into yeah. it. Do you think interesting? Do you think that? Uh, what you call it, like mainstream medicine. Do you think that women's health falls through the cracks more than, than other types of issues? I would say, yeah, because, you know, historically, most of the research is not only done on men, but it's done for male conditions. And a lot of like, look at what options we have for women's health. You go to the OBGYN, what are they giving you birth control? And when did birth control come out in the 60s? And that's still our first line option for anything women's health related. Like, it's just, it doesn't seem like if this was a man having this issue, we would not be still offering the exact same thing that we had 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we would have new innovative treatments. We would be doing integrative stuff. We would be doing more research for, for just all of the conditions that we have. And that's just not happening. And it's just not, you know, most women go to the doctor and they're offered a different birth control. If the first one didn't work, that's their next option. And it's just, that's just not fair. Right. Do you see that changing at all sort of recently? I do. I do feel it shifting. I see a lot more um, 
people trying to learn about these integrative methods and alternatives to um, birth control or to managing your hormonal health. And I do see that uh, conventional doctors are also starting to see that shift and being like, oh, a lot of my patients are coming in and asking for other stuff. I better, you know, learn a little bit about this. Mm -hmm. And so I do see that shift. I don't know if it's going to be sustainable enough to, you know, be a long-term thing of, you know, just random Google searches of certain herbs to help with hormonal stuff. I think it needs to be a much more bigger, um, bigger change, but I do see it slowly shifting and I do see the awareness slowly starting to, but also this is my world. So that's all I'm surrounded by. So all I and connect with their other women's health practitioners. So it's hard to say, um, if that's just in my world, I see it shifting or if it is truly shifting, I like to believe that it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So just for some of our listeners, um, if they're not familiar with, like I worked with the naturopathic doctor throughout my career and I had really great, like she helped me figure out I was celiac. I had really great results from that. Um, but what is the difference between what you're saying integrative medicine? Is that how you describe what you do? I think integrative medicine is just like a big umbrella term as specifically a naturopathic doctor. We are training is similar to primary care providers. So we're trained in primary care. We learn all the pharmaceuticals. We learn all the um, standards of practice for, for all of the primary care conditions, but we also have years of training in nutrition and herbal medicine and a lot of these other integrative methods. So I think that's kind of where we differ is not only have we learned the pharmacology, we've also learned um, for years. I, I spent three, four years studying herbs and nutrition and how that um, plays a role in all of these conditions that we learn about. So I think that's kind of where, where, what would set us apart is the extra years of training in um, these other modalities. Right. And so, and you mentioned um, birth control a few times, you know, is that something I know I was put on like a, the standard, like the oral contraceptive pill when mm -hmm. I was about, I don't know, 14, 15 years old, I had like, I had an issue, went to the doctor. I was like, my testosterone was on like a high end for a woman, you know, not out, not off the charts or anything, uh -huh. but then they put me on hormonal birth control. I feel like this is such a common story. And then like, you know, a few years later I was dealing with like severe depression, um, and I, I'm actually kind of, I've come to the place where I'm kind of grateful for it now. You know, I had, I went through counseling. I like, you know, I feel like I evolved a lot as a human, but in retrospect, I learned then. And then I, the way I figured it out later was when I was in my late twenties, I had been off the pill for a while, went back on it and had some of the same symptoms with mood, uh, with that. And like, is that, a, do you find that's like a common experience? I do find it's a common experience and it, it, we can't necessarily say it's like cause and effect, but I do see, you know, a lot of women complain about side effects, whether they start birth control and they have side effects or some specific birth controls have it, or once they get off of it. So there is a lot of issues surrounding it that I hear often. And then some women take it and they're totally fine and they have no issues and they feel great. And it, you know, it just depends on the body, but I do hear quite often that many women do feel, um, those symptoms of, of any number of symptoms when either put on birth control or coming off of it or both. Yeah. What do you generally tend to recommend for birth control? I, I mean, if you're trying to prevent pregnancy, I always like to say, let's get your periods as regular as we can and track your ovulation. So, you know, your ovulatory window, you know, every single mode of 
interfering with your body is going to have some side effect, right? It's just kind of where, how much do you want it to affect you? I would say the lesser of the evils would be the copper IUD. Um, but then a lot of women just, you know, don't want to deal with that. They don't want to get an IUD. It does have a little bit of a heavier bleeding in the beginning. It can cause some other vaginal issues. So there's, there's pros and cons to all of them, but I would say if you don't want the hormonal issues, that one is the one that you would want to go with. My personal, you know, what I like to recommend is just knowing your fertile window, knowing when you ovulate, knowing when, um, when you're able to get pregnant and doing something in that time to either avoid, um, intercourse or use some other form of protection at that time. But I know that's not always everyone's, I like world that they can live. I can remember, you know, I remember being told like in sex ed, like, you know, that you could almost like scare it. Like we were scared, we became scared of sex, <laughs> scared of not using birth control because like you can get pregnant at any time. And then later in life, when you're trying to get pregnant, you're like, man, it is hard yeah, to get. It's pregnant. not, yeah. It's not a, a drop of a dime and whenever I have sex. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. We have, you know, I, I suspect a lot of our audience has um, like, we'll be training and racing for events. Right. And so one of the things um, for me and for some of my friends is like trying to figure out how to not hit like those, you know, like the kind of couple bad days that you have during your cycle, maybe right before your period or some people struggle a little around ovulation. Like it actually does affect all our physical performance on that day. Um, are there things you would recommend for like either like we tended to use birth control to try to like control when you're you know but are there other things we could do to mitigate that a little bit do you think so typically when I hear that you're having symptoms at all like around ovulation or right before your period that's telling me we want to figure out what's going on there I usually see that related with estrogen spikes so that's why you might see it around ovulation and right before your period is because those that's usually when estrogen right before you ovulate estrogen peaks and that's what triggers that ovulation um, or triggers FSH and LH and then ovulation. But, um, if you're having symptoms around that time, your, your estrogen levels may just be really high and that like shift and going really high to low is what triggers those symptoms. So then at that point I would say, well, let's figure that out. Let's get you. So you're not having symptoms. You shouldn't be having a ton of symptoms around ovulation or right before your period. For the most part, um, I like to get you to a point where, you know, when you ovulate, you might feel that like twingy little, like like sharp pain every now and then, like the day that you ovulate, other than that, you shouldn't have any other symptoms, um, besides like, you know, cervical mucus changes, which is totally expected and normal. Um, but like the mood symptoms or the fatigue or, you know, the, uh, the other negative symptoms that you don't want to have, you shouldn't be having. So that's where I would say, let's, let's figure out why you're having that and how we can get rid of those. <laughs> Okay. You're blowing the race days, but just for your regular everyday life too. For your life. Yeah. Okay. You're blowing my mind a little bit here. Okay. So what if we didn't, you know, I spent, I've spent my, I spent my entire career in my life, just knowing that there was going to be those couple days, you know, my mood would be a little bit low right before my period and I wasn't going to perform well. So what, what would someone do to mitigate that? What would you actually recommend? So I would say, let's check out your hormones. Let's see where they're at, what's going on, you know, around that time. If you also get like breast tenderness and mood swings and irritability and acne, and you feel hot at night before you, you know, or when you're sleeping and you have, um, headaches or migraines or period flu symptoms, or you get like congestion, like any of those are telling me estrogen levels need to be worked on. And the two ways that work on that is one through liver metabolism, because your liver is what's processing all of that estrogen, sending it out to your gut and your kidneys for excretion. 
then your gut and your kidneys have to excrete it. So if you're not peeing enough and you're not pooping regularly, or if you have other gut issues like gas or bloating or indigestion, or um, you have a food intolerance, or you have diarrhea, or you're not pooping on a daily basis, or you don't feel like your poop is a complete evacuation. Any of those symptoms are telling me your estrogen is probably not getting cleared out as effectively as we need it to. So those are the two things that we'd work on. One, making sure that your estrogen is exiting your body and not going back into circulation. And two, the fact that your liver is processing everything. If you have alcohol and you feel completely hungover and just down and out the next day, or if you um, maybe like smell someone's perfume and get a headache immediately, or if you're just very sensitive to certain things, I would that all of those things are telling me your liver needs a little bit more support. And we want to kind of not only support those excretion pathways, but also support your liver in doing the things it needs to do. Wow. Are you telling me I'm not supposed to get a hangover? Yes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. How do, okay. So then if we're, I, I'm like seeing this connection really quickly. I didn't think you were going to talk about poop when I, when I asked that question. Right, you like, will never talk to me and I will never not talk about poop. And you like, even in a friendly conversation, not about <laughs> women's health, I'll be talking about poop. I love it. Like I think uh, as, as like, a former triathlete would get used to like talking about how we're going to deal with our bowel movements, you know, <laughs> it's a real issue. Um, okay. So in terms of su- liver support in particular, um, what, how would, how would someone support their liver or make sure that's helpful? So I always want to talk and this is always, always, always what I'm going to say is anytime you see like a 21 day detox or like a cleanse or a, like any, anything that's like marketed as a detox, one, be careful Two, just know that your liver every single second of the day, whether you think about it or not is already detoxing. So what you need to do is support those pathways of elimination. Your liver is doing what it needs to do. But a lot of the times what, what, where most people have trouble is getting it out. You're not sweating regularly. You're not peeing regularly, or you're not pooping in your gut. It's, we have all those issues that we talked about earlier. So those are the main things that I would say, start with, make sure that your pathways for exit are open. And then we can do cleanses every now and then if you need to. But the first thing you really always want to make sure of is can I poop everything that my liver is metabolizing? Can I pee everything that my liver is sending out? Can I sweat it out? Um, and if I'm not doing that on a regular basis, starting there with enough water, enough fiber, enough, you know, time in the sauna and exercise. Um, and then we can start with nutrients that are helpful for liver support. So B vitamins, NAC, um, lots of cruciferous veggies, lots of green veggies. Um, what else we have vitamin C, magnesium, glutathione, those are all really great nutrients. And depending on, you know, whether your issues with estrogen metabolism lie in phase one of liver metabolism or phase two depends on the nutrients that we would use. And I typically like to test for that to see, but I would say even just a multivitamin and then supporting those detox pathways is more than enough. Um, okay. I was scrolling your TikTok yesterday <laughs> and uh, I loved that I was preparing for an interview by scrolling TikTok. <laughs> how did you, just as a side, how did you get started on TikTok? Uh, truly I, my husband was like, well, you know, it's a great, like, he's like, get on Instagram. And then at that time was when TikTok was just, it was right before COVID happened. And that's when like TikTok had just started becoming a thing. And I was like, I mean, 
I might as well try it. I'm making videos and posts on Instagram. I might as well put it on TikTok anyway. And then things just kind of grew from there. And it was, and then I, I grew to really enjoy TikTok. Like I just love watching videos versus um, reading posts. I think a lot of people would agree with that <laughs> sentiment. Um, you know, reels and TikTok have both become a big thing, but I, I don't know, I just started posting and it, and it kind of took off and I, I loved being there and I continued making videos. It's just yeah, and I, me to like rant and I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, I like seeing, you know, like information about women's health coming yeah. through on those yeah. platforms too, right? Yeah. Um, from someone who knows what they're talking about. Cause like there is quite a lot of um, like bullshit out there, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that I find that quite refreshing. Um, there's a couple themes that stood out. Like one was around like endometriosis. And like when I think about my, you know, as I go back through my life, like, you know, I think I've had a handful of friends throughout my life who actually have endometriosis, but we just kind of understood this as like, they have bad periods, you know, they just had to like stay in bed for a day around that time. Like it's now it's kind of blows my mind. Like, why didn't we say, Hey, there's something wrong here. Like, let's figure this out. Is that, is that your experience too? Um, yeah, I would say it, depending on how severe your endometriosis is, I have a couple of patients where their endometriosis is like wrapped around their lungs and their diaphragm and their gut and their kidneys and their bladder. And it's like severe at that point, you know, we can do what we can to manage the pain, but you're, it's not going to go away completely. Whereas there's some people that have very mild to moderate endometriosis, and we are able to control the pain with a lot of the modalities and things that we do together. Um, so it really just depends. The more super severe cases are a little bit more rare. So I think for the majority of the time, we are able to at least significantly reduce your pain. I have one girl that I'm working with right now who um, we she had like really bad pain for several days. Now we got it down to just a few hours of pretty severe pain the day of her period starting. And that's where I'm like, oh, that's probably your endometriosis, which, you know, we've gotten it down significantly, but the, those, you know, the lingering pain may not be something that we're going to completely get rid of at this point. And she's like, well, that's okay because it's already reduced so significantly. So it's kind of like, depends where you're at with how bad your endometriosis is and how much we can do. Yeah. And at what point, you know, how would someone start to like self-diagnose on that? Like, how would you tell the difference between just a bad period and something more serious? Usually uh, once you have addressed all those issues and you've seen improvements, if you're seeing improvements, we know, okay, good. Things are working. Um, like, like with a few of my people that I've worked with, um, who have, I think a little bit more on the moderate to maybe severe endometriosis is where like they had pain several days. They had all these other symptoms, everything else has cleared up except that lingering pain on the day of their period a few hours before. So to me, that's when I'm like, maybe it's endometriosis and she's starting to go to her OB and get the workup done. But, um, that to me, that that's what triggered it is like all of her other symptoms went away. She had no more PMS symptoms. She's like, I don't even notice when my period's coming. I just start bleeding. And I'm like, oh, here it is. Then the pain comes later. She's like, it used to be pain for days leading up. I used to have headaches and migraines and mood swings and fatigue and low libido. And she's like, I don't have any of those anymore. The only thing I have is the pain. So to me, like everything else is going well. Like she has no other symptoms except for the pain at that time. So that's what triggers me to think there's something more going on. It's not the hormonal functional issue anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, 
Okay. I want to talk to you about, we heard your daughter earlier. I think before we started recording, <laughs> um, she's one. And I saw that you posted something about, you know, how you're going to talk to her mm-hmm. around, around her first period. Um, so what, h- how are you going to talk to her when, when really, I am, you know, ho- we still hopefully have a few more years before we get to that point. Right. But, you know, I just want her and I feel like, you know, my husband and I are both NDs and I do women's health. So I'm sure she will just be constantly hearing me talk about periods and bodies and women's health until she gets her period. So I'm hoping it doesn't have to be a huge conversation, but you know, I just want to educate her on what's going on and tell her all the things that I wish I had known at that age. Like, you know, if you're having these symptoms, if you have pain, here's, you know, what we can do for it. And just know that, you know, that's not normal. You don't have to just deal with, um, pain or, P- or or PMS symptoms because you're having a period. So if that is happening, let me know. Um, other things that I would say are, this is what's happening. This is why you're having a period. And um, it, really just making her feel comfortable about it. I felt kind of embarrassed when I had my period, like, what's going on. I didn't know it was ashamed. You know, you have to like change your tampon at school and like hide. It was very, just a taboo thing. And I just want her to know, like, this is a normal thing that happens and your body is doing what it is meant to be doing. And it, there's nothing wrong with it. Just making her feel comfortable around her periods. I don't know verbatim what I would say. Hopefully it will be something she feels comfortable to hear when it happens. Yeah. One thing, you know, one thing I've sort of struggled with a little with my own daughter is that she, um, she has internalized this kind of idea that if I say, oh, like you might be, your mood swing might be because of your period Mm -hmm. or like trying to get her to be reflective about that or to, you know, um, that she thinks that I'm saying it's not real. Mm. Like that what she's, and I'm like, I don't, you know, it's like, how do we shift that idea that like, okay. And and even just what you were saying earlier is like that some of those PMS symptoms, we might not even need to deal with them if we can find a strategy for mitigating it. So like to get, to become engaged in that conversation, like it is real. She should never be made to feel like her symptoms aren't real and like shifting to like, okay, now what do we do about it? Which I feel like there's just, there's still this sense, sense of acceptance, right? Culturally that like, you know, if there's one thing that comes out of this conversation, I feel like that's what it would be for me is like that cultural, how do we get to that place of cultural shift where it's like, actually, we don't have to accept that this is just how it is. And we can do something about it. You know, I think just the more social media is becoming aware of all this stuff, the more we're starting to see that shift. So that's a good thing. But yeah, just telling women that they don't have to feel and you know, only so much of it is hormonally related, right? Some of it may be stress related. Some of it may be, you know, past experiences, trauma, your mental health, your environment, how are your relationships? There's so many other factors, right? That can affect that. And the hormones may just exacerbate them. They just may make those things worse. So that's where there's, there's other pieces. Are you working on your mental health? Do you have a therapist? Do you have stress management strategies? Do you have nervous system regulation tools? How are your, how's your cortisol? Mm -hmm. Like all of these other pieces on top of is estrogen and progesterone making those things worse. So it's not Mm -hmm. only, you know, like, oh, it's your hormones. Like you'll be fine. I also want to make sure we're looking at everything from a whole perspective of how's your overall mental health. Yeah. I love that. Do you um, work with women who are in perimenopause at all? 
I do. Yeah. So helping to transition into menopause, that's another thing I say is I've worked with so many women where they don't have all those hot flushes and night sweats and super mood swings and just feeling miserable in that transition. That's again, a hormonal issue, a liver metabolism issue, an adrenal issue that we want to make sure that your transition into not having periods can go as smooth as possible. It does not have to be one of those things where you feel miserable and it's like the movies where you're this like crazy monster. That is not at all. (laughs) I think, you know, we're portrayed to be these like huge emotional roller coasters where, and I think we just accept it. Like, Oh yeah. Like here I am. It's my menopause. Like, no, that's not, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. There's this, there's a balance there, right. Between, you know, the, the fact that like, I think women are experiencing real symptoms around that time and acknowledging that and saying, okay, like this is, these symptoms are real and also like we can get help with it. So how do you help people um, around? Like what do you, what specifically do, do you do? How do you help them? And again, I'm, I feel like I'm going to sound just very redundant and saying liver metabolism and gut health and focusing on exercise and focusing on those like liver pathway excretions, um, working on stress, nervous system regulation, working on adrenal and HPA axis regulation. So that axis between your brain and your, um, and your adrenal glands that your cortisol is kind of working on. Um, all of those pieces are things that we work on. So we work on your sleep hygiene. What are you doing in the hour before you go to bed? Are you, you know, watching TV in bed and scrolling on your phone and then trying to go to sleep and feeling really wired at night? Like, of course, you're not able to fall asleep. Of course, you're not sleeping through the night. Of course, you're waking up tired. So those are all things that we'll work on. How are you feeling when you wake up in the morning? Are you really tired and exhausted and dragging yourself and your energy never picks up? Let's work on your cortisol awakening response. Let's get you doing a couple of things in the morning to help with your insulin, to help with your cortisol. So you have energy in the morning and it's sustained and you're not crashing around two or three o'clock in the afternoon. Those are all things that we work on. And when we start to work on blood sugar and cortisol regulation, what happens is your mood is more stable. Your energy is more stable. You're able to maybe, you know, get in that 20, 30 minute walk or exercise that you want to do. And then you feel even better. You have more energy and your hormones are working better. So it's these small little things that we think like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I need to be healthy. I know I need to eat better. I know I need to exercise. But when we actually put our foot forward and do those little things, it makes these huge differences in your hormones overall. Your hormones aren't something that overnight, like, oh, I had too many drinks two days ago and I ate pizza and now my hormones are screwed. Right. One of those things that just happens over time, over years, your hormones are the last things to get messed up. It's your blood sugar and your cortisol and your stress and your gut health and all these other little pieces over time that are affecting your hormones. Yeah. That's so interesting. I found like, cause I'm 46 and I have a few like beginning symptoms of perimenopause, you know, and I found one of the things that actually worked for me to like reduce um, some of the symptoms, like the hot flashes even was to actually like reduce my stress at work and deal with that, you know? So I'm kind of glad it, cause they're like, Oh, it worked. I don't know why it worked, but it, it worked. So when you're talking, I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. This all makes sense. It's all like, to you can put like integrative. Exactly. Yes. It's all integrated. It's all related. Sometimes I get women who come to me, they're like, okay, I have a long list of things and they're totally unrelated. And then they tell me everything. I was like, no, all of those are related to your hormonal issues. Like everything is related. They're not these random symptoms. Like they're like, well, I have acne and skin issues. I also have hair issues and I have these mood issues and I'm like sweating at night and I have joint pain and my periods are all over the place. I'm like, 
like, yeah, all of those are related to each other. And if we can fix a couple of things, all of these symptoms start to disappear. So especially with stress, I'm going to say that's a really, really, really big one for a lot of people with their symptoms that you just have no idea how much stress is affecting your life until you start working on it and you feel better. Yeah. That's so, because I feel like for myself, a lot of the other pieces are in place. Like I do exercise regularly. My diet's semi-okay, <laughs> you know, um, I sleep at night. Right. So like stress was definitely a big one for me. Um, so are there things that I feel like you've kind of answered a lot of this already, but, um, before we go, is there anything that like from your practice that you wish other things that you wish, like every woman knew? I think for sure the stress piece, I, I, personally, it's been a huge like thing for me to work on. Like anytime I start to feel off or I'm getting sick a lot, or my periods feel weird, or I just feel disconnected in life. I'm like, where are my stress levels or where are my stress levels at? And immediately, like once we, I start addressing those usually within like a week or two, I'm like, oh, I feel better. <laughs> like everything just disappears. So, and I see that happen so often in other women too, where we work on their stress and, you know, so many things start to clear up. So I think, and when I say work on stress, I mean, really just like, you know, finding a therapist for sure. That's if anxiety is something you've been dealing with forever, absolutely get, you know, a therapist on board, but also what are you doing at night? How, what are your boundaries with social media? What are your boundaries with, you know, your social life in general? Do you prioritize sleep? Are you prioritizing breathing and doing something to help your body and your mind unwind? Are you exercising? Exercising is also a big stress relief too, for a lot of people. And I think these little things, we just, you know, let go of thinking that's not stress related is stress is, is shows up in so many different ways. And, and there are so many little things that we can do on a daily basis to keep it in check. Yeah. And in that point, do you personally have a morning routine of some kind to try to keep yourself it's always ever changing? I try to my husband recently, our new thing. I, I don't remember where he said he got it. I, I want to say it was Tim Ferriss, but I might be making that up. Uh, but he was saying he was listening to some podcast where they do 10 pushups in the morning and it just like, and then like um, a journaling thing and then meditation. And so that's our new thing now is if we can wake up before our daughter, what we'll do, he's like, did you do your pushups today? I'm like, no, and we'll do them together. <laughs> so we, and it's 10 pushups. Like that's not hard. You can do them from your knees, do them against a bench, do them on the wall. If you need to like 10 pushups, it takes literally like maybe a minute and and it makes such a difference, like momentum going when you can do some physical activity in the morning. Cause if you drag yourself out of bed and you're just a zombie in the kitchen until you have your coffee, like, yeah, you're going to feel like that the rest of your day. But if you can get up and do 10 pushups or 10 squats or something to just get that blood moving and that court is all active, you're going to feel so much better. Yeah. I love the idea that a workout doesn't have to be like you can just throw a few things in with movement, like, like 10 pushups. Like I was just thinking yesterday, like, I'm so glad I have two sets of stairs in my house and they're quite steep. Like, oh, I'm glad that I live on like a three, in a three level home because actually the stairs are adding something to my life. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And if you're anything like me though, what I used to do is like, I'm like, oh, this has to go upstairs. I'm going to leave it at the bottom of the steps. <laughs> and, oh, I do and that too. Have a pile of things at the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> Mostly my kids' clothes that she's removed yeah. somewhere and left in the living room. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like I think a lot of people get hung up on the idea of exercise being this formal 
30 to 60 minute thing. You got to go to a gym. You have to have a home gym. You have to use dumbbells. You have to have a mat. You have to have like a workout video, like literally just 10 pushups in your bedroom still gets the purpose of getting that cortisol awakening response happening. And it helps your momentum and your mental health. 10 pushups. Totally. And like the difference between like the biggest differences between nothing and the 10 pushups or the small workout versus like the 10 pushups to like a bigger workout. Exactly. Exactly. Different mindset. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. Well, Saru, this has been so fun. Um, How can our audience follow you? Where do we find you? Yeah, you can find me on social media. I'm on TikTok and Instagram. Um, I have a newsletter. I have webinars I do frequently. Um, So I like to be all over the internet (laughs) as much as possible. If you're in um, Phoenix, come see me in person. Otherwise, I also do um, virtual visits kind of all over the country as well. So pretty available. I will send over my, um, my link for all of that too. Awesome. Well, thank you. And thanks for spending the time today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tofosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tofosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They are shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat. So they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tofosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. 
Aminoco has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with Aminoco Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%.